0: Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that, and if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You could do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much and have a blessed day. Morning everyone, how are you? Uh, so good to see so many he- people here on uh, a chilly morning. Before we begin, I would like to start with prayer. Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts gathered here today be a witness to the work in your life, to your work in our life, I mean. May we be a witness in this world to what you are doing in our lives. May scripture inform that. May my words inform that. May our small group Bible studies inform that as we grow faithfully into the people that you call us to be. Amen. So, uh, Grant, thank you for your testimony. And I I said this in the first service, Kara, you got a bonus testimony there, right? Because Kara's recruiting for CRS, and we had our testimony last week that was to, like, get everybody out and And unexpectedly today, we heard another beautiful witness of of why these intersectionalities matter, why we can't just have issues alone, um, uh, LGBT issues are connected to issues of race, right? Why why intersectionality is so important to talk about. And so thank you for painting that picture for us and getting us excited for MLK. So uh, now we will talk about faith and work, which is kind of what MLK is. Uh, several years ago, a friend of mine told me a story that took place several years before that um, in the time of pagers. So what is that, the 90s, 80s? 90s, yeah. So several years ago, she told me the story about when she was promoted to vice president of a large company in the Chicago area. She was to, it was a communications company, she was promoted to this wonderful corner office and she quickly got used to the prestige of the position and the workload of it. One Friday night, she got a page and it said that there was an emergency and she was to come into the office right away. So she got there and she was, meet, she was met by the CFO, the CEO, and some other large vice president-type people from the company. I don't remember the exact details, But there was some sort of crisis and scandal that involved the company taking pension money um, and putting it somewhere else and then spending it and not being able to return it. It was a big mess, and it meant that people were going to be losing their pension or not having their full amount of pension. And uh, Beth was charged with leading the team that would, I don't even know if I can say fix the situation, but to navigate a way forward. She told me later that when she was finally alone in her office she shut the door, she walked over to the trash can and she threw up and then she sat down at her desk and she started to pray. God, what am I going to do? God, guide my decisions. Help me to find a way forward in this way that looks like there isn't. Help me. God, help me. I honestly don't remember how this situation turned out. But what struck me about this story, Beth navigated a way forward. But what struck me about this story is that the first act that Beth undertook in the midst of this crisis and scandal at work was, well, maybe her second act, if her first act was to throw up. Her second act was to pray was to say this is a really crappy situation and everything that I am going to do from this point forward will be done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? This is a really crappy situation and I don't know what to do and so I am going to welcome the spirit and the peace of Christ to dwell richly in me so that I can find a way forward, right? That's what our scripture talks about today. It's a profoundly powerful idea to have everything that we do be done in the name of Jesus Christ. To have the spirit of Christ, the peace of Christ, dwell richly within us, guiding us and directing us. It's a profoundly powerful idea. We're going to come back to this in, in, in the sermon, but I want to I just... Um, pause for a moment and, and tell you one more thing about Beth's story that I confess I just discovered in that story several years ago. This was the first time that somebody told me a story about work that I realized people's faith informed their jobs in corporate America. You know, before this time, I I I used to think, like, oh, I can easily see the connection between people's faith that work in ordained ministry, between people's faith that work in the teaching field, between people's faith that work in the, you know, even healthcare field, or um, any of those jobs that sort of heal people, counsel people, teach people. It's easy to see that connection of faith and work, right? But in Beth's story, this was the first time that I realized... And And this is just me being thick, I guess, in the head, but this was the first time I realized that that all people's faith informed their work. did you already know this? Have you already you're you're ahead of me? No, yes i mean i uh, I, I was a teacher for a couple of years, and often people would thank me for my service, right and and, and I would be like, yeah, I'm doing the Lord's work. That's right. I'm teaching in a public education, but it felt like I was a missionary, right? That I was doing God's work. I also worked at Starbucks for about seven years. Nobody ever thanked me for my service there. And I'm not sure that I would have thought, oh, yes, I am doing the Lord's work. And yet, as I reflect on Beth's story, and I think about my time in Starbucks now, I realize, yeah, I was. Because of who I was and how I was engaging in the world. We spend a lot of time as a church celebrating and, and praying for and thanking professions that are in that sort of helping people industry, right? And that's good, and I think we should continue to do that. How much time do we as a church spend on welcoming and thanking people that work in all other areas of the profession, in in medical and science study field, in economics, in um, accounting, right, in project management. All of these professions are important. All of our jobs, they're all work, and all work is God's work. Last week, we studied the um, second chapter of Genesis. And in it, we discovered that at the beginning of creation, one of the first things God gave us was work. It was ordained from the beginning to work. We talked about serving and protecting being our work, but, but literally, work was to till the soil, right? Tim Keller, who is a pastor at Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, says... That um, all work, out of this scripture passage, he sees that all work can be seen as rearranging raw materials for the flourishing of life. Think about your job. Are you in some way rearranging raw materials for the flourishing of life? That's God's work. Because all work is God's work. So as we're thinking about this faith and work connection in this sermon series, I'm going to ask a whole bunch of questions now. And I invite you to write down the ones that strike you, to reflect on them over the week, because I would, I would, I would guess that the things that sort of strike you, that's a place where you want to pay attention that's a place where maybe God might be speaking to you. I think oftentimes the, the things that we struggle with the most are, are where God is, is speaking to us. And maybe you're like me, I hope not. Uh, if something's difficult, it's easier to say, "Oh, I'll pass on that and come back to it later." Anybody else do that? Okay. So I invite you not to do that. If it's difficult, take that as a, as a way to say, you know, this is something I want to lean into. Lean into and reflect on. So here are some big questions. I would hope at the end of the sermon series I'd have all these answered for you in a really tidy bow and just present them to you. But I think actually the answers are within you. Okay? So here's some of the questions. What does it mean to be a person of faith in the workplace? especially, especially when my job is not in that sort of traditional helping field. So what does it mean for you to be a person of faith in the workplace? How do I connect my faith and my work when I am missing meaning in the work that I am tasked to do? When it feels meaningless to me? Maybe I lack passion, interest, and yet I'm in this job. You know, an example of this, I know somebody that has to stock beer shelves for Trader Joe's. How do I connect meaning and purpose to work that feels meaningless? How do I connect my faith to my work when my job is so hard, and I'm not sure that I have the skill or talent to do it? How do I connect my faith to my work when I feel inadequate to the task that is given to me? Next, how do I connect my faith to my work when the environment and the values of the company, think about my friend Beth here, caused me to feel really uncomfortable? So I'm in a work environment and I feel super uncomfortable by by the values of this work environment and yet I'm here. How do I connect my faith and my work? And the last question, How do I connect my faith to my work when 90% of my life doesn't seem to have anything to do with my faith? In other words, faith happens here on Sunday, maybe in small group, but 90% of my life I'm not even thinking about it. How do I connect my faith to my work? Any of those questions resonating with you? Will you sit with them this week? Maybe discuss them in your small group. These questions are so difficult to sit with, and um, I, I wish I had the answers to give you all. Um, and it changes. You know, I, I worked at Starbucks for seven and a half years, and at the beginning, I could make a lot of meaning and fit in my work, and, and as I got to the end of it, I'm like, I'm ready to get out of here. So, it changes, right? But wherever you are now, dig into these questions this week. And as you're digging into these questions, as you're, I want to use the scriptural word dwell, as you're dwelling in these questions this week, I invite you to dwell also in Christ, in the peace of Christ. Bring those, make those be like conversation partners, right? Hey, these are the questions I have. Hey, Jesus, what do you think about this? What does this mean for my life? Guide me. I want you to dwell richly in me. Guide me. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you, as the scripture says. Because dwelling in your questions of faith and work as you dwell in Christ, following. Jesus, opening yourself up to this transformation of the gospel message, allowing the peace of Christ to rule your heart, that is, folks, that's the journey of Christianity. Like, that's what it's all about. That's life. It's not rule following. It's about opening yourself up to what, what, what Jesus, what Christ can do in your life. It's about preparing a place to let Jesus just live as a resident in your very being, to kind of give up control, right? Which is super hard, super hard. I'm going to give you an analogy, and we're going to watch a video. It's like sitting in a, the driver's seat of a car and letting the car steer you and take you wherever you're going, Now, I know many of us will never be able to afford a Tesla, but I want to show you this kind of cool video of a guy test driving the, I don't even know, there's a plug for what the name of it is, but it's the autopilot in a Tesla car. Check this out. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) I mean, just the technology, but also as we think about what it means to allow Christ to dwell in us and to help us navigate the world that we find ourselves in, do you find yourself in that guy? Can, can you see trying to hit the brakes right or take control because we're worried? What, what would that, What would that look like if we let Christ rule our life in that way? Now, I imagine this guy if he if he continued to sit in this car that allowed him... that that was driving, he would eventually relax, right? He would eventually allow it to navigate. It might take some time. And if he relaxed, he would begin to see things and notice things that he didn't have the capacity or the energy to notice before because he was too busy driving or too busy being nervous about something else driving. There would be a certain amount of clarity in his sight that you just can't have when you're in control. To let the peace of Christ direct and control your heart allows you to see things in a new way. To let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, it changes your perspective. Not instantly. You know, this isn't like, awesome! It's over time. Over time, you can sort of relax into this gospel, life-changing, transformative life. So that maybe that annoying employee that you've always seen as dispensable becomes that woman that is struggling just like you with the limits of your, her life. And you are able to increase your capacity for empathy. Now, granted, she's probably still going to be annoying. But you've increased your capacity for empathy because Christ is dwelling richly within you. And maybe, just mainly, maybe, because I do believe in the radical transformation of the gospel, maybe you guys become friends. Maybe not. But maybe. Maybe your life can change that drastically because of the power of the gospel. See, this is something that happens over time. You don't... It is interesting because this is the Colossians verse where just a couple of verses before it, it says, clothe yourself with... You know, it's like, it's like something you can just put on. I think it is something you can put on, but it's an identity you have to live into. So when I uh, first became a pastor... I realized one of the things that was difficult about it is where, I I grew up in a kind of traditional church where pastors wear stoles and they wear robes and they process in, you know? And I realized that one of the things that was difficult for me as I was growing into this identity of being a pastor is that I didn't get to clothe myself in the ways that would allow me to do that, right? Because even if I had clothed myself, I still wouldn't have felt like that. Because it takes time to grow into that. Does that make sense? I'm going to give you another example. That one just popped into my head, so I thought I would offer it. Ten years ago, over ten years at this time, Monica and I moved to the city. We moved from Atlanta, and before that I had lived in small-town central Illinois. So Atlanta's kind of big, but Chicago is like, you know, it's the big urban city. It's the city that, you know, John Candy made movies about, and I don't know who else um, what's that movie, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, right? It's, it, it's just sort of iconic. And we thought, it is so cool. We're Chicagoans now. And so probably on a subconscious level, we tried to figure out how do we live into this identity as Chicagoans? What do we do? So we did, you know, we made lists, and we, we did we did all the things we thought maybe Chicagoans do. do. You know, we went to Ma- Maxwell Street Polish. We uh, went to Al's number one Italian beef. We tried all the deep dish pizza places and so that we could have our favorite pizza place that we said, which, by the way, I think is Chicago's Pizza on Montrose. It's way better than it. Anybody been there? It's really good. That's where everybody's going for brunch after church now. Um, we took tours. We went on the architectural tour. We went on the um, in Untouchables tour. That's the gangster one, if any of you guys have been on that. It was really cool. We went up into you know, Sears Tower, the John Hancock. We did all the things that we thought Chicagoans would do. But all of this didn't actually make us Chicagoans. It actually made us tourists, right? Right? What made us be able to identify as Chicagoans was that we lived at 49,14 and a half North Paulina Street, that we relied on the brown line to get us downtown, that we delighted actually it was more Monica, but I went along with it in the first snowfall. <laughs> we went outside and took pictures. What made us Chicagoans is that we survived our first winter, and as the spring thaw came, we exchanged knowing looks with strangers on the L. It's getting warmer. What made us Chicagoans was a deep commitment to make this city better by voting in the elections, by volunteering with different organizations, by finding family and friends that we could love, friends who became family that we could love. We weren't Chicagoans because we decided to follow all these rules of the Chicago life. We became Chicagoans because we opened our hearts to the beauty and struggle of sharing a city with three million other dwellers. We became Chicagoans living day by day by day and experiencing all that this city has to offer. And this is what it means to live and walk into our identity as Christians. It's not something that we can just decide and be done with it. It is an hour by hour, day by day, growing into this identity of Christ. To, to opening ourselves to letting Jesus navigate our life. To knowing that we can't isolate our work life from our faith life, from our friend life, from our hobby life, that it is all one life. And at the center of it is this call to have everything we do be done in the name of the Lord Jesus. So it is out of this identity, this primary identity of Christ dwelling in you, that we continue to look and find how we can find joy work. So I invite you next, next week to come back and we'll be talking even deeper and more actually about what happens when work sucks. So, <laughs> amen.